0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. You see, so there are consequences right across the board. First and foremost, obviously, we need to address the health considerations, but that's not to diminish the other side of the equation. And some are even proffering that uh, there will be consequences to uh, the economy and people losing their jobs and. uh, their means of uh, providing for their families, so there will be economic casualties as well. To that end, are we we approaching this in uh, the right way, or is there a more holistic way that we might address the situation, the crisis, as it continues to unfold? Before we get to our panel and topics worthy of discussion, I think this certainly qualifies as such, and here to help us in that regard. With a different perspective on things uh, through the reporter's lens, Alex Berenson, the former reporter with the New York Times and known on this show as the author of Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness and Violence to Address the Ravages of COVID-19. Alex, good to have you back on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon. John, it's a pleasure.
1: I mean, it's funny. I think we last talked, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago and the world looks very different now than it did then, doesn't it? (laughs)
0: changed utterly as the poet once said a terrible beauty uh let me ask you though because i've seen you in interviews recently where you've said the lockdown approach and uh, for all intents and purposes we're practicing that here in canada may not be the most efficient way of addressing this Uh, my words not yours necessarily but explain where you're coming from
1: sure so i mean there's a a couple issues going on here now first the, the thing that i think i've gotten the most attention for in the last uh, you know, let's say 10 days or so is pointing out that the models, and there's really two primary models that have been used in the U.S. and, and really worldwide to justify this profound action that we're taking, um, have done a really terrible job predicting what's happening with hospitalizations uh, uh, in the U.S. where, where you know, we, we have pretty good current data. And, and I have to be honest, I haven't followed the numbers in Canada as closely, so I'm not going to pretend to know what they are. But in the U.S., the models and there's a, there's a model out of the university of washington have been way off and in fact they've been they've made a couple efforts to fix them and they're still not working and the hospitalizations in outside of new york new york clearly has a problem outside of new york and possibly new orleans uh, and possibly detroit there's no evidence of a huge surge in covid cases in the united states in fact there's good data that many hospitals right now are emptier than they normally are in part, that's because the hospitals have actually, they've pulled, you know, they've said, we're going to do no elective surgeries, we're going to discourage people from coming in because, you know, we're afraid that there's this terrible surge coming. Now, these hospitals are running at 60%. They're furloughing staff. Um, it, amazingly, uh, th- there's a crisis in the healthcare system in the U.S. that involves the hospitals being too empty right now, which I don't think anybody really knows. So so, so that's one point. The, my my broader point is the lockdowns are profoundly damaging. They're damaging economically, but they're damaging societally as well. They encourage people to think the worst of their neighbors and to call in their neighbors. This has actually happened in the United States. They are on the edge of being unconstitutional, as far as I can tell. Maybe you can make a case, and certainly um, right now nobody is suing. But. But given the sort of relatively low harm of this, this is not something that's going to kill 10 percent of the population, given the relatively low harm of this to, uh, you know, to shut private businesses for any prolonged period of time in the United States. um, You know, I think that's constitutionally questionable. And 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 I think what's also been totally ignored in this is the lockdowns are damaging to public health for many children in the United States. The meal that they get at school is the best meal of the day. For many children in the United States, and this is less true in Canada, but it is still true in Canada, their only chance to be seen by an adult who's not a drug user is at school, not at home. And we, and these kids are at zero risk from coronavirus. Every statistic shows this. They are at basically zero risk. We, are, we have taken none of this into account as we've locked the country down and as we've locked the world down.
0: Or is it we just haven't prioritized that perspective because uh, it seems the immediate and overarching concern is based on the models? Now, on a daily briefing basis, I mean, we have these here in Toronto as well as provincially and federally, so three tiers of government. And I notice uh, you've got in the States Donald Trump uh, every dinner time with Dr. Fauci and uh, Burks. You know, they're the ones who, I guess, are giving guidance on this and suggesting, uh, you know, social distancing is necessary, i.e. the lockdown, by way of uh, hundreds of thousands of casualties. And you're saying, now, it needs to be said and stressed, you're not uh, by any means involved in the medical profession, but you're just a reporter and... I guess you disseminate it or you uh, interpret information. I'm looking
1: for information from public sources. You know, for example, the state of Florida puts out information every day on the number of people in the beds in its hospitals. Many states, not all, are putting out information on new COVID infections every day. You know, there's reporting on this. For example, here's a fact you've probably not heard. The state of California is sending ventilators that it requested from the national stockpile back to the national stockpile. And I guarantee you if they thought there was any chance that they would need those in the foreseeable future, they would not do that.
0: So then is this panic, if we can call it that, uh, a consequence of uh, just misguided information or uh, is there an agenda behind this? How do you see it? Uh,
1: I mean, I'm not going to speculate on people's motives. I would say the reporting has been very aggressive and very much attuned to what I would call outlier cases. So for example, in Italy, of the first ten thousand people who died of the coronavirus, not one was under thirty. Okay, and very few—about a hundred—were under fifty, and most of those people were sick with other stuff. You would not know that to see the cases that get reported in the United States, where they really focus on people who are young, who who are you know supposedly healthy according to their family members, who are who are what I would call and what I do call outlier cases. People are not getting the real picture about who gets sick here, about how this is disseminated. There's a, there's a, the, the biggest biggest way this spreads right now, it looks like, is in nursing homes, in hospitals, and in spreads intrafamilially. In other words, somebody who's asymptomatic goes home and infects you know, other family members, or symptomatic, they go home and infect other family members. But if you look at the clusters, in Minnesota, for example, there are 29 people who have died. 17 of those people are in long-term care facilities or nursing homes. 17 of 29 and for that minnesota is locked down indefinitely
0: but alex in the absence of a vaccine or an antiviral at this stage and uh, we're told this contagion spreads with a toxicity 10 times that of seasonal flu uh, and we have no way of addressing it is there a risk if we were to relax it lets the genie further out of the bottle uh and so then you know it goes beyond uh, any it's not, scale it, it's it's, it's not clear
1: at this point. I mean, it, it, there's arguments over whether it's, it clearly appears to be somewhat deadlier and somewhat more transmissible than the flu. I would say we don't know what the actual numbers are yet, I mean, in part because we don't know. We argue a lot about how deadly the flu actually is. Is it one case in 10,000? Is it one case in 1,000 that people who get the flu die of the flu? There are different flu strains. And by the way, the vaccine for the flu is not particularly effective either. Right? Sometimes it works. Some years it works better than other years. The the standard of we are not going to open the country or the world up until there are no cases of this is not a standard we have for any other disease or illness. That is a crazy standard. That that cannot be the standard. I, I feel comfortable saying that. So the question is, what is the standard going to be? Is it going to be when you know if if Toronto suddenly the beds start to fill up, Toronto has to lock down briefly. Is it? Is it, if there are new infections in Toronto, Toronto has a lockdown briefly. Are there, are there medium steps we could take, like requiring everybody to wear a mask for a month? Are there, could we say, you know what, we're gonna preferentially protect nursing homes. No one's allowed to go into a nursing home who ha- doesn't have a negative COVID test. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna take steps that don't involve blowing up all of society to get this down to zero, which is a standard that is totally unrealistic and we don't have for any other disease.
0: Alex Berenson, former reporter for the New York Times, with us on a matter of, uh, well, just taking a different approach to absolute lockdown, wholesale uh, type of lockdown. Now, they had that early on in places like Singapore and Hong Kong, and it uh, certainly there was containment and mitigation that was successful, but now they're uh, seeing a second wave coming around. Is there not a risk of that happening? Well, I mean, there's, there's a risk of everything, but, but have you heard about any second wave in China? Most
1: of China has been under no lockdown for more than a month. Cities Can like We Beijing, rely on Chinese. China, no, but Alex, well, seriously. But that's, a, that's a fair question. No, 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 that's a fair question. But what about Japan? Okay, Japan, there's been no lockdown, no, no widespread testing at all, and and right now, Japan has seemingly the best outcome of any major country. Yeah, but so, yesterday, Shinzo Abe no, a declared change. a
0: state of emergency yesterday, Alex.
1: Yeah, but 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 the, but the country actually didn't lock down. They, they didn't. There's no there's nothing going on in Japan comparable to what's happening in the U.S. or Canada.
0: Well, here's so, the other example. So, the U.K. Let me just ask Sweden as well. Sweden's taken a more or less a fair approach. They're not in full lockdown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't know what the trajectories are going to spell out long term in Sweden yet. No, no, we don't. We don't.
1: But we know that they haven't destroyed their economy. And we don't know if their outcome is going to be worse. And here's something else your your uh, listeners may not know. Four European countries are moving to relax their lockdowns now. Uh, Austria, the Czech Republic, Denmark, which is you know obviously very close to Sweden and has the Swedish example, and one other, which I should be able to tell you, but I can't. Um, four countries in Europe have said they're going to move the other way because, because they've looked at the risks and they've said, you know what, we need to start – we need to start getting society moving again
0: yeah it seems to me the takeaway is in terms of risk assessment uh, there are more variables in the equation than just the health component or at least there's a, a different health component you talk about the casualties through uh, economic downturn which is very much appreciated yes. and I, I think, think that's yes. where Pre- president trump had been talking about that early he wanted to see things up and running again by easter which we know now uh was probably far-fetched but he's been excoriated for having that attitude and uh perhaps being irresponsible seen as wantonly irresponsible when do you think then in some kind of a fair case scenario things will start to open up or based on what uh, i uh, i well that's i mean i
1: i don't want to predict when things will open up
0: but my call is for
1: prospective metrics that make sense we should be talking about this right now what what is it instead of worrying about the death count in you know the Bronx from day to day. What is it that makes sense nationally, regionally, internationally? What what standards are we gonna have? Is it new again, is it new tests? Is it hospitalization? Deaths are the are the one thing we don't want to focus on because deaths lag. Deaths deaths if you're counting deaths, it's too late. You want to be counting stuff on the way in. So so we need people who are you know in epidemiology, in public health to talk about this, but we also need people who are in business and economists to say, how much damage does every extra day do? Because that's important, too. It's
0: a fascinating take. Uh, I've heard it stated, but not as prevalent as uh, we know when it comes to, uh, as you say, body counts to death, uh, focusing on the morbidity. Alex, always appreciate your time on the program. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again down the road. All the best.
1: John, great pleasure. Thanks very much.
0: Alex Berenson, former reporter for the New York Times, and through the reporter's lens, uh, looking at this whole phenomenon. By the way, his book, Tell Your Children, the truth about marijuana, mental illness, and violence was uh, equally provocative. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.